well, please keep your Bibles open there. We're going to pray now as we have a look at God's Word this morning. We'll also pray for the kids um, starting off in Kids Church. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can look at the book of Acts this morning together, that we can uh, hear your Word, that we can understand, that we can see how it is relevant to us, how it speaks to us today, just as it spoke to your people when it was written. Father, we also pray uh, for those who are leading Kids Church and for the kids. That will be a good time learning about creation this morning. We ask that you'd be um, helping the leaders and assisting the kids and that the kids will grow in their relationship with you through this. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at Saul's encounter with God and you have thought that he was probably at least outwardly such a bad person because of his involvement in persecuting Christians. And this week we see that we come across someone else, Cornelius, who really looks like this sort of middle class, upper class working man, a soldier, a centurion, in fact, in charge of a hundred troops. He seems to be, in a worldly sense, a pretty good bloke. And we have a lot to look at today in today's chapter, in chapter 10, as we continue our series in the book of Acts. So let's dive into it and have a look at it straight away. From verse 1, it tells us, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. So straight up, we learn some things about Cornelius' character. He was a devout man. He... Uh, was virtuous in the sense he was a good man in a worldly sense of things. Number two, he feared God. Now, that doesn't mean that he knew God, but probably more sympathetic to Judaism eh, rather than probably a complete convert of Judaism. Probably like someone today who isn't a Christian, perhaps, but sympathetic to their belief in that sense. Number three, we know that he gave alms. In other words, he was generous towards people, particularly those who needed that generosity. And number four, we know that he prayed to God. So there was some sort of awareness about God and that God can be prayed to. Now, the Jews, they would have been frightened at the thought that a centurion the frightened of the thought of a centurion becoming a Christian because it would tighten the Christian and Gentile bond, those people who weren't um, ethnically Jews, those Gentiles. Most of us, unless you have some Jewish heritage, would be a Gentile. It would have been giving more validity to this movement of Christianity. It might have even brought stability and social credibility to Christianity as the movement continues from Jesus. And as we see that Cornelius, he was praying to God. This appearance by an angel is a response from God and is that a God that he's trying to get to know. That God has heard his cries, the one he is trying to get to know, and now God has responded to those cries. 
And as this dialogue continues, as we look in our Bibles, we see Cornelius and the angel. They, uh, Cornelius is given some specific instructions. So have again, look at your Bibles down from verse 5, and it tells us, And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So what can we learn from this? Well, God is in control when bringing people into his kingdom. Our God is a sovereign God. He is always in control Yet, at the same time, he uses people's own individual choices to bring about his plan. We see that Cornelius sends some of his men to Joppa to bring back with them Peter, also known as Simon Peter. He was with another Peter who's in his house. He was a tanner, not the kind you find lying on the beach, but rather a guy who works with leather and animal hides. But what we see is the hand of God is at work in a miraculous way here. That God has sent an angel, a messenger to Cornelius, who seems to be seeking God. And God uses an angel to bring about his will in this situation. And we see this miraculous event happens as we see this narrative. It continues on from verse 9, it tells us. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. Now, for those who are new to the Bible, if you go back and have a look in the Old Testament, God gave food laws to his people, the Jews. Now, those food laws, you can read them in Leviticus chapter 11, but for time's sake, we won't go into reading that chapter this morning, but you can go back later, have a look at Leviticus chapter 11. But really, the summary of that is you you have heard the term perhaps kosher, which really means just allowed. So kosher food means that you're allowed to eat it. So, for example, when it comes to eating meat, certain animals they couldn't eat. So things like pigs, shellfish, rabbits, reptiles, all these sorts of things, mammals, they had to have a split hoof when they chew the cud. So they could eat sheep and goats and cows and bison and deer. They were kosher. And then when it came to fish, they needed scales that were removable to be considered kosher. Specific, you know, birds that were kosher, but there's all those sorts of laws floating around there as well. And then even when it comes to eggs and seeing if there's a little bit of blood in the egg, when you crack it open, you couldn't eat it because it wasn't kosher. So there's all these food laws that were given to God's people, the Jews, in the Old Testament. But the point here isn't dietary. 
but rather that God's people were called to be different from other nations, from other people. This was an illustrative point for the people of Israel, for God's people in the Old Testament. And as we shift our mind to the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills the law. And he says this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 to 19. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Probably a nice way of putting it. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, slavery, theft, false witness, and slander. So that as believers after Jesus has come, he hasn't abolished the law, but rather he has fulfilled the law. That God's people are to be different. But the point of those food laws that we saw for God's people in the Old Testament in Leviticus 11 was to remind God's people to stand out, to be different as followers of God. That we see as followers of God before Jesus' incarnation, before he came to earth, they did follow these food laws in Leviticus 11. Jesus himself followed those food laws as king of the Jews. But since Jesus has fulfilled the law, there is no requirement to adhere to these food laws because Jesus reveals it is our hearts that make us unclean, not the food that we eat. That God's people in the Old Testament were called to be holy, to be set apart, just as we are as Christians. This is, for them, that meant many things, including those food laws that we saw. But we saw also from the lips of Jesus himself that was recorded in Matthew's Gospel. He said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And we see here in today's passage that God gave Peter a vision of food, not just about food, but about interaction with the Gentiles, with those other nations that ate those kinds of food, that the Jews would look on at other nations and define themselves on what they ate or didn't eat. So that this vision from God is giving Peter this understanding of how his interactions is to, are to be with the Gentiles, those from other nations, and highlighting that Peter needs to be able to have fellowship with Gentiles too, and that's okay. The Gentiles, us, need the gospel. They need the good news of Jesus. And they can eat whatever they want to eat, though perhaps if they were serving up a bat from a wet market, I'd probably pass at that point. But as we see here today in Acts chapter 10 and the words of Jesus from Matthew's gospel, that Jesus isn't concerned about what you eat, but rather he's concerned about what comes out of your mouth because it reveals how defiled your heart is. This is what we need to understand, that we need a new heart, a new heart shaped by Jesus, shaped by his death and resurrection to enact change in our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit, that we've seen a lot of this in the book of Acts in our journey so far, haven't we? That all this food is now clean, that Jesus has fulfilled the law, and in that we don't have to adhere 
to those food laws outlined in Leviticus 11 because Jesus has fulfilled the law. He hasn't abolished it, but he has fulfilled it. And that's why, for example, like you saw on the screen before, you can have a medium rare steak, you can eat bacon. That's not concerning about how we live for Jesus. What Jesus is concerned about is what comes from our mouth because that reveals where our heart is. So you're no better a Christian or follower because of what you eat. And this is the point God is putting across to Peter in these verses. It's culturally hard for Peter to hear what God is saying to him. And then we see this happens three times because of its importance to convince Peter that this is about the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles that we see here in chapter 10 is the fulfillment of those verses that we keep coming back to week after week when we first started our series in the book of Acts, where it tells us in chapter 1, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We've all seen that as we've gone through. We've seen also that in all Judea, we've seen the gospel go to Judea, and we've seen the gospel go to Samaria. And in today, in chapter 10, we see it more openly. We see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, to the Gentile nations. We've seen the gospel continue to go out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now, today, we see it more fully in today's passage of the, the gospel going to the Gentiles. That as a consequence of becoming unclean by eating non-kosher meat meant there were sacrifices that needed to be made to make someone clean again before God under those Levitical laws that we'd read in Leviticus. But for those who follow Jesus now and trust in his death and resurrection, that Jesus' sacrifice was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices that David alluded to earlier this morning. That as the book of Hebrews puts it, it tells us in chapter 10 verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And then if we skip forward into verse 10, it says, And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that's how we view Jesus in relation to the law. That the law was this shadow to the reality that was Jesus when he was to come. And now that Jesus has come, he has died, he has risen again, he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. As God's people, we don't need to follow the shadow in the law, but rather we follow the reality that is in Jesus. And this is what God is illustrating to Peter in how Peter can eat with Gentiles and eat what they eat. This would have been a huge cultural clash for Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who is culturally Jewish, who ate kosher food with Jesus, is now invited to eat with Gentiles and eat what they eat. It would have been a very big clash of culture. And this is about the gospel going out to the Gentiles more than it's really about food. And we see as the narrative continues, it tells us in verse 19, have a look at your Bibles with me, it says, And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, 
Go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And then the next day we see they head off to Caesarea and meet with Cornelius. And when he got there, this happened in verse 25. Have a look at your Bibles. It says, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. But it's clear that Cornelius, he got it wrong when Peter first showed up. And Peter corrected him, highlighting, well, I'm not God, don't worship me. And Peter addressed Cornelius and the crowd, and he said this from verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown, shown me that I should not carry any Call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And then Peter goes on and he shares about how Jesus' death and resurrection has changed how people relate with God and how they live for God, that they no longer live in light of the shadow of the law, but they live now in the light of the reality that we now have in Jesus. And then Cornelius explains his encounter with the angel that God used in response to his prayers and is now intently asking Peter to tell him more about who God is. And, well, we see this in verse 34 onwards, as Peter tells him the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You see that in the passage this morning, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again to forgive sinners like Cornelius and those who are with him. That for us today, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection is for you too. That his death, his sacrifice for sins is for you today. That to accept Jesus, you need to repent and turn to him for forgiveness. That no one sitting here in this room has received Jesus without repenting and turning to him. That the good news of Jesus is that he died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be made clean by him alone. It is Jesus who makes us clean. It is Jesus who wipes away our sins, our debt before God, and brings us into relationship with him and brings us into his loving family. That Cornelius and those with him would have heard this good news. And we see this as Peter is telling them the good news, and we have a look from verse 44 where it tells us, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. See that these believers didn't have to join the Jews in circumcision because that was the sign of the old administration of the covenant with God. And now that baptism is the new sign of the covenant with God. That for all these miracles we see in the book of Acts, we see in these verses the normal pattern of the gospel. We see the normal pattern is being proclaimed, the words being proclaimed, and then the Holy Spirit is in at work in the hearts and lives of people. That there were Jewish Christians amazed that even Gentiles now were being saved. I don't know who you could put in that category, but even them, they are thinking, can be saved. That what Jesus said would happen in the book of Acts in in chapter 1, where we read that out just before, is happening right before our eyes as we journey together through the book of Acts. That these people were saved, they were baptized. That for Cornelius, we see him go from a sincere, religious, but unsaved lost man to a repentant, believing, saved man. That the life-saving message of Jesus is what saves people from their sins. That saves them to an eternity with their saviour, Jesus. That when we came across the Jewish food laws and the people of the circumcision party, those who wanted to be stuck in religious practice rather than those who truly wanted to see the good news of Jesus change every part of the way they live. That religion only leads to more religion. But for those who trust in the gospel message, this message that Jesus came and he died on a tree, he died on the cross, and he rose again, conquering death, so we can find forgiveness of sins. So Cornelius and those listening on could find forgiveness of sins. That as Christians, we don't pick and choose parts of the Bible to believe, that we seek to understand, to learn, to grow as Christians in response to all that God has done for us in the resurrected Lord Jesus. And in God's sovereignty, he brought people into his kingdom. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel a bit like Cornelius. Maybe you feel that you're close to God but haven't truly put your faith in him. Whether it's your first time here with us at City Heart or your hundredth or thousandth time, we all need to be saved from our sins. That our eternity is marked not based on whether we're a good person or not, but rather if we have faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus, if we have repented and turned to him for salvation. And for some here today, perhaps you fit more into that uh, Peter camp, that you already know that Jesus died and rose again, paying the price for sins. He's defeated death. We perhaps know that. And the question for you this morning is, how are you sharing this good news? How are you sharing the gospel? Because by nature of knowing the gospel, we will share the gospel. Because we know what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, saving us from our sins, saving us from an eternity in hell to eternity with him forever. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll be good at it right away or all the time. But you have the capacity to share the most important news that anyone will ever hear, the most important news that the world needs to know. 
Now, it may not mean that you walk up to every person in the street, but it also means that you will tell those that you know about Jesus. You'll tell them about the good news of Jesus. And it's not up to us to save that person. That's up to the Holy Spirit. It is for those who know Jesus and understand Jesus, who trust in the gospel message, it's for us to share this with others. And then the Holy Spirit will work as he wills in the life of that person. So it means that you may not speak to random people, though it may, but you have also many people to share the good news of Jesus with, those who are closest to you, those that you know you can share the good news of Jesus with. So we have seen in the book of Acts and how God is working among us, even among us here this year, that God is working and saving people by the power of his Holy Spirit. He is at work in people's lives as they share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others. So this morning, perhaps if you feel like Cornelius, hear that call to repent, to turn to Jesus. We would love to perhaps have a chat with you after the service. Come and chat to me. You can chat to David. Um, We can talk to you about putting your faith in Jesus and what that means for your life now and your life for eternity. And perhaps there's others who feel a bit more like Peter, that they feel like, well, I need to be bold and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the faith that I have in Jesus. That you don't have to be confrontational in how you share the good news of Jesus, but rather genuine and sincere that you would love to see others in eternity with you as we live with Jesus forever. So that others can learn and can know the gospel and trust in the good news of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning Uh, for the work that you are doing in each of our lives. Father, perhaps for some of us this morning who feel like Cornelius, perhaps sort of a everyday hardworking person who's sympathetic to God, but probably we haven't put our faith in you just yet. For those, Lord, I ask that you would work in them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you bring them to faith, that their eternity can be secure in you that their sins can be forgiven, that they can live a life of freedom in you. And Father, for many of us who feel like Peter this morning, Father, help us to know you better. Help us to grow as your disciples and help us to share this good news with everyone that we meet, that this is the greatest news that we've ever heard and that we'll be confident in sharing it with those around us. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.